This week on Thinking Biblically, you're going to hear an amazing story of the powerful work of God in my daughter Naomi. Welcome to Thinking Biblically. My name is Alan Gilman. Thinking Biblically is a podcast dedicated to exploring how all of Scripture speaks to all of life. Sometimes we do that with having special guests, and I have a very special guest with me today who I'll introduce to you in a moment. But uh, I want to mention last week's podcast where I did a response to Dennis Prager. Uh, He had done a, um, a short talk on what he called the biggest difference between Judaism and Christianity. And uh, my podcast hasn't had this much attention in a while. Um, I don't know if it's because people thought I actually had Dennis Prager on my show or because they're interested in the subject matter. I have think, I think it has a lot to do with Dennis Prager. And uh, anyway, if you haven't checked that out, I encourage you to do so. Um, and also, please don't forget to subscribe, to like, and to share. Sharing would be a big help. If, uh, this podcast uh, blesses you in any way. Uh, think of other people who you could share it with, and um, that'll be a blessing to them as well. Well, it is my pleasure, extreme pleasure, to introduce to you my daughter, Naomi. Naomi Gilman is our second born of 10. After spending her youth training at some of the top dance schools in Vancouver, Montreal, and Ottawa, Naomi moved to Jackson, Mississippi to be part of Ballet Magnificat, the world's premier Christian ballet company. Naomi has worn many hats over the years. Sounds like her dad. She's currently the co-owner and director of Arise School of Dance, and more recently she became also a registered grief recovery specialist. Naomi lives in Ottawa, where I live. Welcome to Thinking Biblically, Naomi. (laughs) Thanks. It's fun to be here. Well, that's what you're saying so far. We'll see how it goes. Uh, (laughs) I'll let you know. I'll let you know at the end. Yeah. So it's been it's been a blessing through the past over a year. I've done this this video podcast and and several of your siblings have been on. This is going to be the first time we're going to get more personal instead of talking about a particular issue. Not that we won't talk about issues, uh, but uh, I'm I'm sure I'm going to I'm going to learn some things about you. One could say maybe this is why I'm doing this. I could actually interrogate you and get some real answers to some real questions. Uh, but um, uh, so we're 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 going to get into your faith journey and have you share that with people. But before we do that in particular, uh, imagine you're asked this question and I thought it'd be a good thing to start with. Um, what what was it like growing up in a family like ours? Well, I do get asked that question, but what I normally say is I don't know anything different. (laughs) So I have nothing to compare it to. It's what I knew. So I don't necessarily know what they're asking um, because like our experience is our experience, right? So the other thing I often tell people, because as many of you, if you watch my dad's podcast, you'll know he has 10 children um, who are all grown now, but I'm the second oldest. And so I didn't grow up in a family of 10 kids. When I was born, it was a family of two kids. And then it was a family of three kids. So it's not like I spent the 20 years of my growing up life with 10 kids. By the time the youngest was born, I was moving out. Um, So I think it's kind of a funny question because I think people just imagine something like 10 kids from birth till graduating at all times chaos maybe i don't know but that was not my experience um because the kids came one at a time and it's what i knew so yeah i don't really know how else to answer that question yeah and that and that's true but (laughs) there was the fact that we were a a little different from most people we knew we knew a couple of larger families but not everybody had a 15-seater van uh that's like one of those hotel shuttles you see at airports (laughs) And uh, we would we would normally have the rear seat out and just fill the thing, even if we weren't twelve people for most of your life, we were less. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, there's there's a whole section of your growing up years where we were a force to reckon with everywhere we went. Mm-hmm. Did did you even notice that we were different from other people, other families? Well, yeah. Again, I think we weren't different from other families for a while. So I want to say, I don't know when we got the 15 seater van when we graduated from a minivan, but I want to say I was mid to late teens 
Um, so I was already in my second half of high school. And I remember the, fir- I don't know which sibling it was, and I probably, it's good that I don't remember, but I remember always being excited when mom was going to have another baby. Cause that was exciting. And then at some point in my mid teens, there was an announcement of there's going to be another baby. And I thought, Oh, my friends will think we're weird. Um, and I had that for a couple of years, but I didn't, care that much. It wasn't something I was constantly thinking of. Again, like our life was our life. I loved our life. I loved my siblings. We had a lot of fun. We did have several families. I'd say often the families that were our best friends were also big families. So that was, we had that connection, even if, you know, not everyone in our life were these kind of large homeschooling families. We, we had people in our lives that were like that. Um, But yeah, there was a few years in my probably middle teens where I thought like, well, this is embarrassing. People are going to find out or they're going to know like your mom's having another baby. Um, but it didn't really go beyond that. And then um, I don't know if this is too personal because now I feel like I'm telling other people's stories. But um, my mom, your wife, had several miscarriages before the last couple siblings. Um, and I remember kind of just not really thinking about it until the last one, there was, I think, a chain of three in a row um, lost babies. And at the third one, I remember just kind of getting this like anger in me. Like if God wants these kids, like even if we're weird and we have so many more kids than anyone else, like the Bible says that God's the one that creates life. This is not an accident. And so we need to fight for these kids. And so the last couple, I remember there was one of them that, um, there had been like a little complication with the pregnancy and it's like, oh, well, this one turned into miscarriage again. And I just remember sitting on the floor in our dining room and telling who, whatever family members were there, like, we've got to pray for this. Like God wants his child. And I think that was my sister, Abby. So we prayed and obviously she's with us, (laughs) which is awesome. So I think there was somewhere in there where, yeah, it wasn't cool. It was embarrassing when we had to tell people like, oh, there's going to be another baby. Um, and I mean, a lot of my friends who weren't Christians um, thought we were kind of like a phenomenon. They always wanted to like, tell us more about your family. Like we're like a TV show to them or something. Um, but I think that was very minor. That's not like a core memory of growing up and having that be a thing. Um, but there's definitely some embarrassment at cer- certain points, like we're different. Um, but yeah, after a few of those babies died, I just kind of had a flip, like, you know what, who cares if it's not cool? Who cares if it's not popular? Like God wants these babies. And so we need to pray that they come. Well, I found that touching. Uh, thanks. Uh, there are also all these other ways. And I I might be assuming too much about what some of my kids might be thinking and, and, and maybe one day we could all sit down and, and have some of these perhaps long overdue conversations. Uh, being a large, a larger family isn't the only way we've been different compared mm-hmm. to a lot of the people around us. You know, we're Jewish people who believe in Yeshua, Jesus. Uh, we've traveled uh, back and forth across this country more than once. And I think we're going to get into that from a different perspective. But there's these other ways we seem to have not we haven't tried to be different we've just been Mm -hmm. different were you sensitive to that no i'd say generally no (laughs) um okay i don't know if it's fair to say i feel like you're fishing for something that's not there like i was like i liked my family i liked my childhood it was normal to me that we were jewish and christians because that's what we knew we were used to hearing you like and mom explain it to guests like what that means to be jewish and christian i could tell my friends because some people would say oh you're jewish and christian but i thought those things are opposite or whatever and we i kind of had my couple lines that be like i'd explain it to them simply and it was just who we were it it was never a problem to me that might not be true for some of my siblings i don't know you'd have to ask them but like it for me it was never a thing okay all right so Unlike your mom and I, you were born into a house that uh, believed in God and and believed in Yeshua as the Messiah, uh, valued the Bible very highly. Mm-hmm. That was so dramatically different from either of our upbringing. And then you're mm-hmm. thrown into 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 this. Um, personally, it's 
I can't fully relate to somebody like any of any of our kids living in a family like <laughs> yeah. ours because we weren't raised this way. Um, but you know, mom and I tried our best to to, to raise our our children according to how we believed the Lord wanted us to, and and part of that was teaching you all about what we believe to be the truth about the Bible and God mm -hmm. and so on. Um, now I know in your own I know in your own story there's a journey here. So what, mm -hmm. why don't why don't I just throw that over to you and uh, <laughs> can you what is your faith journey? What is my faith journey? Um, I think it's funny, funny, fun. I like it. Um, obviously, it ends well for me. It's a good story, I think. Uh, yeah, so being raised in a uh, Christian and Jewish household, um, we were taught the truth. Um, and I was told, I don't remember because I was very young, but around the age of, you know, three, four, five, came home from Sunday school asking about heaven and hell. I believe in Jesus. I wanted to be saved. Somebody led me in the sinner's prayer. Um, and so I always grew up just believing it to be true because my parents told me, um, no brainwashing, but the same way when you're little, your parents say garbage truck and the grass is green. What color is the grass? The grass is green. Like, and God made the universe and, you know, and we're all sinners and you know, whatever that is. Like you just teach us what truth is. And I believe you cause I'm little, um, I was a very difficult child, which people think is funny now, but I was, um, I'm the second born. So, uh, my older sister sometimes hates when I say this, but I say like, she was perfect. Um, but she was a classic perfectionist, like high achieving parent pleasing. And, um, she probably wasn't as perfect as my little brain remembered her to be, but I thought she was perfect. And I just was classic second born, get attention by being bad. And because we were homeschooled, I mean, it could look like anything like Naomi time to do your math. No. <laughs> um, I won't, you can't make me, whatever it is, like not listening to my parents, being rude. I lied a lot to try to get out of trouble. I lied and then blamed my siblings for things to try to get them in trouble instead of me. Um, I was fairly good at it, unfortunately. So yeah, I just had a lot of pride, a lot of um, things in my heart. Um, and I remember being really little and when I had done whatever bad thing I had done and my mom was disciplining me and we'd sit on the bed. I have this memory of sitting on the bed and she'd always say, Naomi, there's only two sides. There's God's side and there's the devil's side. God says to obey your parents. There's so if you're either obeying or you're not on God's side and what's it going to be? We're talking on like four or five or whatever. And I remember thinking, I somehow knew that if my mom questioned my salvation, that would hurt her worse than whatever bad thing I had done, taking the cookie when she told me not to or whatever. And so I would, you know, you're crying because you're getting in trouble at that point. And I just remember saying, you know, really dramatically, like, I don't know, like whose side I want to be on. Um, and so she'd send me to my room to, you know, go think about that, go sit on your bed and think about that. And I remember sitting on my bed and having this little private conversation with God and going like, I do believe in you, right? Like, we're good. You know, I'm on your side. Like, you know, I just have to say this to make my mother angry. Um, and so I always just had this very clear, like right and wrong, heaven, hell. I was very aware that I was a sinner. Um, but it was like, I couldn't help myself. Like I never thought about what I was doing till after I had already done the thing that was bad. And then my pride would kick in and I couldn't let my mother win the argument. Um, I was the kind of person that whatever discipline was being handed out, you know, as I was headed off, I'd turn back and say like, I don't care. Cause it's like, I had to even have the last word in there. I couldn't have her think that, you know, no desserts for dinner tonight because I had been bad, like was, affected me in any way. So that was just kind of my nature. But as I grew up, you know, you start to mature and I started being like, I don't want to be bad. I want to follow God's way. I want to do the right thing. And so I very much started becoming, uh, I feel like for lack of a better way to say it, just a better person. Um, I started being a rule follower. I started being more conscientious about my behavior. And it was like a slow shift probably through a lot of my mother praying um, and a fair amount of discipline, which I'm very grateful for, but I just became a better person. But looking back, I can still see it was in my own strength. And at that point, um, 
me and my older sister, you know, were these, we, these homeschool kind of like perfect on the outside people that people would want their little girls to emulate at church. Like, Oh, be like Sarah Naomi Gilman. Oh, the Gilman girls, like do it like them. You know, they're so polite and they listen to their parents and they're disciplined and they're hardworking. And so you kind of got this reputation. Um, but it was very much in my own strength and very basic heaven, hell, God's side, Satan's side. I know I'm a sinner. I need a savior and I'm going to do my best to live up to, you know, his perfect standard that he set out. So um, fast forward, when I was 17, I went on a trip to Israel. It was a ministry kind of prayer trip. So what we did is they gathered a bunch of youth from across Canada and we met in Montreal. We learned a lot of the history of Israel and some of the different things going on. And then we went to Israel and what we would do while we're there is we would visit different significant holy sites, some significant ones um, from more modern times and just kind of learn about the different issues and things going on. And we would pray. And we got to connect with some different uh, groups over there as well, which was really fun. Um, and three different things happened on that trip that um, would be when I say I actually gave my life to the Lord. So spoiler. <laughs> um, so the first thing happened before we even left for Israel, uh, we were doing a prayer and worship time um, as we're, you know, learning about the, the land and some of the significance and stuff. And um we went to, at the time, we went to a fairly charismatic church. And so it wasn't odd to lift your hands and close your eyes when you're singing or whatever. I never did, though, because I thought, well, what will people think about me? And like, you know, that's something that the grownups do. Um, but I would just, you know, stand and kind of mouth the words. Um, and I was 17 at the time. There was a few 17 year olds. And then there was kids all the way through their teens and as young as nine years old. And we all had these little, we were buddied up with people. Um, and so my little buddy for the trip was nine years old and I had to kind of keep an eye on her. So we're in this worship time. And I remember her hands in the air, head thrown back, eyes closed, just belting out these songs to the Lord at the top of her lungs. And I just looked over and I remember thinking like, it's like she knows something I don't. Like, how is she just so free and abandoned in her worship? So as I'm, I'm kind of thinking this and just kind of singing the familiar song, I don't remember what song it was, but I think it had in the chorus, it was something about like, I lift my hands to you, I bow down before you, almighty God or something. Um, and this thought popped in my head, which now I know is the Holy Spirit. And it just said, do you? <laughs> And I'm singing, like, I'll lift my hands to you, I'll bow down to you. And I'm just like standing there mouthing the words. And it was just this, do you? Will you? And I remember having this internal battle going, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> you know, Lord, it's like my heart that's bowed before you. Like, I don't have to physically bow down, right? Um, and like, I am, I'm an abandoned, raising my hands, you know, abandoned to you, like, metaphorically speaking, like, I don't really have to do it. Cause like, if I do it, maybe people will think it's for show or, or maybe I'm just copying or, or maybe I'll be distracting to someone else's worship and they'll be looking at me and I'm just having this whole battle. And this Bible verse uh, came to mind, which said, um, he who's faithful in little will be faithful in much. It's from a parable and you can go look that up later, but um, shout out to parents who make your kids memorize scripture. So the scripture comes to mind, um, he who's faithful in little will be faithful in much. And at that point, like I said, I wanted to live for God. I believed in him and I wanted to serve him. And I had these ideas of like, I should move across the ocean and, you know, work in an orphanage. And I, I read all the missionary stories from days of old. And I was just all about that. Right. And I just realized if I was too embarrassed to do a simple act of getting on my knees in a public worship time, how did I ever think I was going to do some like grand schemes for the Lord that would be, you know, <laughs> legends that people would talk about for years to come. And so in that moment, I just got on my knees. I always cry when I talk about this. So apologies. Um, I just got down on my knees and I lifted my hands up um, just kind of as an act of obedience and an outward expression of an inward desire. Um, and in that moment, it was like, I could feel something I can, I mean, this might sound cheesy, but I can only describe it as something in my heart breaking. 
Um, oh my gosh, this is more crying than normal. Um, yeah, so in that moment, I wouldn't have said it then because I wasn't like analyzing myself as I was doing it. But looking back, I would say that moment was when I surrendered my life to the Lord. Um, I believed in him. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I needed a savior, all that kind of stuff. But it was still my will versus his will. And I wasn't submitted to him in everything. And doing that simple act of stepping out of my comfort zone in obedience to something simple that he asked me to do, just I, I surrendered. It was what you want, God. My life isn't going to be what I want. And part of my life, I wanted to be rebellious. And part of my life, I wanted to live for God. But it was still me wanting it. Um, so I work with children that might come up later, but I'm very careful with my language to kids. When we talk about giving our hearts to the Lord, a lot of people say, ask Jesus in your heart. I don't think that's in the Bible anywhere. Um, but growing up in a Christian home, I mean, I know you can say all the right things to kids and like the Lord has to save them. He has to get through them. There's no perfect thing we can say. It'll work. But I, whenever I'm talking with kids about the Lord, I'm always very clear that what the Lord wants is a life surrendered, not just, I believe what you say is true, but it's actually surrendering our lives to him because that was when my life completely took a turn. Um, and then when we went to Israel, the two other things I mentioned, there were three things. So that was the first one. I'd say that was a big one. Um, and then the two other things was, um, just being in the land of Israel, I had always had to read the Bible my whole life. I It was on our daily chore chart, read the Bible, check it off. <laughs> um, I was very Bible literate, um, thanks to my parents, but it was always a chore. There were the stories that I liked, there were the boring parts, but it was still just, you know, a, something I did. That's what you do. You're a Christian, you read your Bible. But going there, it just came alive. Like, if you have a chance to go to Israel, go. This is not a sponsorship. Um, if you have a chance to Israel, go because it is, it takes something, especially for Christians that have been studying just on paper. And it's like, oh, these are real places and this is real people and these are real stories. And everything just made sense. And for the first time, I would find myself opening my Bible in the morning to read my chapter. And before I knew it, I'd realize I had read three. I just hadn't even paid attention to where like the chapter was ending because it was so interesting and so life-giving. Um, so that was huge. And then the third thing was I saw answered prayer, um, my answered prayers. So growing up in a Christian home, my dad would always say, you know, I was praying, God told me this, or I, I think God wants us to do this or whatever. And there was, oh, this testimony, you've got to answer these prayers. But again, it was always my parents' prayers. Um, and I didn't understand, yeah, hearing God's voice. What does that actually mean? What does God's voice sound like? How do you, how do you hear him? Um, and then just having that confidence, there were some times where as a group, we'd be praying for something going on. And then the next day, the front page of the paper would be like, you know, politician changes his mind and like makes this thing that was a problem into this amazing thing. And um, we're like, we did it. Like as, as kids, it was a kid's trip. So it was a lot of fun. But as kids, like there's just so much joy, right? Um, there's not as much cynicism. And we're just like, we prayed and God changed it. Um, but it was really cool. And not that um, God changed it just because our prayers. But in praying, we got to partner with God and what he was already doing, which was really cool. So I came back from that trip. I was probably a little bit annoying. I was like preaching at my siblings and like, we need to be passionate. God is a real guys. Why are we just sitting around here? Um, but there's a uh, saying, if you're around church circles, they'll talk about a conference high. They often talk about youth conferences. You go to youth conference at the church and you get, you come back on this conference high and I'm going to live for God and everything's going to be better and different. Um, and at last, you know, maybe a week if you're lucky, maybe two days. And then you just go kind of go back into all your old patterns and habits. Um, but I say I'm still on my conference high because it wasn't a conference high. It was actually real life change. So and that's where I'd love to love to jump in because yeah, I, 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 I remember you coming back and you were different. Um, and I have always been sensitive to try to be sensitive to this, mm -hmm. this conference high thing where mm -hmm. um and i think having going 
special places and having special experiences mm -hmm. are so helpful, but sometimes they get so overly define us and they almost become a th the thing that we rely on in our faith instead of the Lord, they become an mm -hmm. idol. Um, and so I'm very sensitive for that, sensitive for myself and for my kids. And, but to see how you had changed uh, at that time, I, I, knew, I knew that it was real. Mm -hmm. uh, and so then... Can I... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, can I say something about that? I was just going to say about the conference high, I totally understand what you mean about like just kind of living for those highs. At the same time... I think we have to be careful to not diss conference highs because there is something special about setting aside a few days to just focus on the Lord and not have to be bogged down with the rest of your life and to be renewed and refreshed. And then kind of life gets a hold of you after and things kind of settle a little bit. And that doesn't mean that what you experienced of God in those moments was not good and true. Um, oh, but yeah, we are looking for, I've got my, I've got my list. I have yeah. my list of, uh, of things yeah. and, uh, uh, God meets people in powerful ways mm -hmm. in all sorts of different situations. But we were talking about at your yeah. own, you know, what you what you said that it's easy to have an experience, and mm -hmm. that's all it is is just an experience. Yeah. But in your case, as happens to many people, something happened rooted deep down uh, mm -hmm. in your heart that's been with you for the yeah. rest of your life. And mm -hmm. I affirm that as your dad. <laughs> Um, and so uh, then, of course, from that moment on, everything was smooth sailing till today, right? Obviously. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, people. I hope you nothing. know. Uh, <laughs> and then nothing else ever went wrong. Um, yeah. So, you know, with the, some of the time remaining, um, can you, sh can, and I know we want to get into what you're doing, so the things that you're doing before we sign mm -hmm. off, uh, but before we get there, um, are there any, can you, share some significant challenges that you have faced since that time god becomes so real to you you know we use mm -hmm. we sometimes use the expression on fire for the lord well that's mm -hmm. what you were when you came back mm -hmm. uh, and um and anyway we won't get into the, some of the specifics of that but it was so powerful and i know most of us want to have those real experiences mm -hmm. and then we do expect it's going to be uh you know just gonna higher and higher from there yeah. Um, but can you share some of the, um, some of the ups and downs, mm -hmm. downs and ups? Downs and ups. Um, okay. Well, there's many, there's been a lot. I mean, unfortunately there's been a lot of very lows. I had a, a good friend once say to me, you've had more bad things happen to you than anyone else I know, which I, I mean, not really a compliment, but true just so you know um, like I, when i mm -hmm. sharing years ago with one person the things that i was going through this is not a competition but this yeah. guy said to me after <laughs> no. i shared some um, of my I'm stuff just... he said he said to me alan if i was you if i were you i'd be dead <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is thanks, just me trying thanks, to Bella. stall i'm trying to stall to think of what do i even share which one do i pick there's so many um i'll go to a big one so I had a complete deterioration of health when I was around 28 years old. Um, and it basically, I had undiagnosed health problems for two years, went to lots of doctors, lots of testing, couldn't figure out what was wrong. It was kind of a, a slow breakdown of just everything. And at my lowest point, um, I was bedridden. So I had Bell's palsy, which if you don't know what that is, that's where half your face is paralyzed. Um, they don't really know what causes it. There's many things it could be. Um, so I had Bell's palsy. So half my face is paralyzed. You can tell it's come back. Um, but yeah, half my face is paralyzed. I had vertigo from inner ear damage. Um, and then I had rashes over my hands where the skin of my hands was coming off in chunks um, and a different kind of rashes up my legs that they couldn't diagnose. Um, and then I wasn't keeping any food down. So I was losing weight and I would just throw up all night. Um, sometimes in the day, I don't know. I said all night, often it was all night. Um, but it would happen in the day as well. And doctors and tests. I had one doctor tell me there was nothing wrong with me and shut your door on the way out. Um, I wasn't able to work. I wasn't able to drive because of the vertigo. It was very low. Um, so that's one challenge I've had in life. It's something, obviously you can tell I'm better now. I've gotten some good help that actually 
figured out what the problem was and was able to help me with a lot of recovery. But it is something that continues to be, I I suffer ongoing effects of that. Um, And kind of, I mean, I guess it's, I don't know if it's proof of the real life change that happened when I was 17, but um, so this started when I was around 28. And so, you know, 29, 30, there is a point where I was bedridden and um, just so discouraged. I had, you know, again, you read the stories. I was brought up on the stories of the great people of faith and the lady who lived behind the iron curtain and had arthritis all over her body. And so she could only move one finger. And with that one finger, she would type out illegal copies of the scriptures and nobody bothered her because nobody would suspect that somebody such an invalid could be advancing the kingdom of God in a place where it was illegal to have copies of the scriptures you know, these people that are so sick, but they just spend all their time in intercession. And I would try to pray and I'd fall asleep. <laughs> I couldn't read the Bible because I, I was dizzy and I couldn't read. And um, people would tell me like, oh, don't you know, in your lowest lows, it's like, but those are the sweet times when God is so close. <laughs> and I just remember thinking like, God is so far. Like, I feel like his word has dried up. I don't feel any of those feelings. Um no hope. It's all discouragement and everything. And, um, this one day I was lying on my bed and I just said out loud, I'm done. Like, Lord, I'm done. And I don't know what I was done. (laughs) Like I I wasn't going to kill myself, but I just, I don't know, done trying to somehow make good from this horrible experience done trusting or following him. Like, I don't know what I was saying. I was done, but I was just like, I'm done. Like, I just can't anymore. I can't keep the faith. I can't any of that. And again, a scripture came to mind. I feel like the takeaway here is teach your kids scriptures. So a scripture came to mind, even though I couldn't read the Bible at that point. Um, And it's from in, I believe it's in John and don't quote me on that. I might be wrong. It's in one of the gospels. (laughs) And uh, Jesus or Yeshua says like all these difficult things to the crowd, you know, like if you follow me, you won't have anywhere to lay your head, like all these kinds of things. And it says everybody left. And he turned to the 12 and he said, are you going to go too? And uh, Simon Peter said, where else can we go with you are the words of life? And so when I said out loud, like I'm done before that point, I had been um, heading up women's ministry at my church We had put on this amazing women's conference that I had helped organize um, where like all these people were getting saved and set free from addictions and different things in their lives. Um, I was working at a Christian dance school. I was like ministry, helping, volunteering, like all over the place, doing so much for God. And uh, yeah, I just said, I'm done. And this scripture popped in my head, like, where else can I go with you are the words of life. And that just kind of dropped in my heart in like, life sometimes is horrible. (laughs) Horrible things happen. We live in a world that is sin and evil, and there's just so much pain and suffering. And God doesn't cause this pain and suffering. The Bible is very clear about that. Um, So I just kind of thought, you know, I've got this choice. I've got the pain and suffering regardless. So I can either do it with him or without him. It's not like denying God or denying my faith or like, you haven't given me the dream life I desired. Therefore, I don't believe you exist. I was still going to be an invalid in bed at 28, 29, 30. It wasn't going to change anything to be mad at God about it. And so that was just kind of a huge, like, I'm still here. I have nowhere else to go. Therefore, I'm sticking with Jesus. Um, Yeah. So I guess that would be an example of a time in my life that didn't feel like a mountain high, but I'm still, I'm still in, I'm still with him. And if anything, it made my faith stronger because that's literally what faith is, is like when it's, you don't see it and you don't feel it and you're still in it anyway. Um, Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that led me to want to do this this time with you naomi is um, mm-hmm. we had a, a a coffee date recently mm-hmm. uh, the two of us and um i was just i was seeing how much god's been working in your life through mm-hmm. all that you've gone through um especially with your your physical challenges and um i, I hope people find this very encouraging mm-hmm. um now that that is that 
what you've gone through with that is huge and how, what you've learned in God and how he's helped you is that's all huge. But one, let's, can we go back to when you come back from Israel at mm -hmm. that time, dance was so central still in mm -hmm. your life. It played a little part in the trip to Israel. I, I, mm -hmm. I can still see in my mind the dance that you choreographed, um, yeah. uh, that you, you took to Israel um, and, and used in other occasions as well mm -hmm. and how powerful that was. Um, so you had some expectations about where your life was going to go mm -hmm. and they, it hasn't, hasn't exactly gone that way. Could you share a little bit of that? I don't quite know what you're getting at. Um, yeah, so I guess growing up, I always trained as a dancer. Um, as a kid, you start, you know, once a week ballet class, just because that's what you do when you're a little girl. Um, and then I loved it. And it became twice a week and three times a week and four times a week on and on until I was dancing six days a week and training in professional ballet, as well as jazz, modern, some other stuff. Um, so... But my parents made it very clear, which I didn't super like as a teenager, that I was never going to audition and dance in a secular company. That was not an option. It's a very dark world, very sexual. There's things that you have to do if you are in that kind of situation. So when all my friends were auditioning for ballet companies, as you do in the last years of high school, um, I just didn't. I just kept training and I knew I always wanted to do something with it. Um, so I had started teaching. I started apprentice teaching with my teacher over the years. And then she gave me my own classes to teach. And then we started teaching some we. Sometimes I talk in we about my childhood years because me and my older sister did everything together. So it's always we. And then people look at you like you're crazy. They don't know what you're talking about. So me and my sister, we taught some classes at, out of our house um, to younger kids from our homeschool group, from our church, because they are like, you know, your daughter's dance. And I don't want to send my kid to the secular studio down the road because they might do, you know, have inappropriate costumes or music or whatever. Can your daughters teach them? And so we just started some little classes in our basement. And so I just focused more on teaching. I had one opportunity when I graduated to help this church with this big dance production they were doing. I thought it was going to turn into more than it was. So it ended up being a short stint and, um, it wasn't everything I hoped and dreamed. I, so I ended up back at home and um, all that time, there was kind of two sides to my dancing, which was I was training to be a professional dancer, which uh, I mean, if you don't know, like point shoes, tutus, your leg above your head, the whole thing. Um, and then our church always knew that uh, I danced. And so, you know, can you choreograph something for Christmas program or do something special for Easter? And they'd always, you know, who wants to be in an Easter dance and people who had no dance experience like we do. And so you'd choreograph something really simple, a lot of step clapping and arm waving. And um, I, I mean, dad, I don't know if you know this, but as a teenager, I called it um, my cheesy church dancing. So what I was asked to do at church was the cheesy church dancing. And then what I did at my dance school was the real dancing. Um, and those were always two separate things. And um, I always used to dream, like, wouldn't it be amazing if you could put those two things together? So you could have real dancing with like trained professionals, but have it be God glorifying. And the picture I had was um, the hallelujah chorus. Like just to me, that was like the hallelujah chorus from Handel's Messiah, just praising God because this beautiful classical God glorifying piece with this like professional ballet. And I could picture in my head, like the tutu swirling and all that. I thought I had made it up. Um, and then, so the years go by, I graduated, I was still teaching. I was teaching at a Christian dance school in the area and I was teaching at a secular studio and I just kept training because there wasn't really an outlet for my own dancing. But at the time I was young and I loved my dancing more than I liked teaching. Um, so one day out of frustration, I just Googled Christian ballet. I was like, there's gotta be something. Um, and I discovered, uh, this ballet company called Ballet Magnificat in Jackson, Mississippi. That's the premier Christian ballet company. And I remember looking through their website and calling my mom, like, mom, look at this. And I showed her this photo of this beautiful ballerina. And then there's like the statement of faith underneath that was like the Bible's a word of God, like all this stuff. And I said, I think they're real dancers and real Christians. And I had never heard of them before. Um, so yeah, fast forward, that started me on a journey to audition and go there. I trained with them for years. Um, and 
being there, it really, it taught me a lot of things that I always thought I had just imagined in my head, but then here were people that had been doing it for years and knew way more than I did. And kind of my biggest takeaway from those years where, I mean, the Lord taught me a lot and grew me a lot, but, um, is they would say there was one teacher there. She used to say, you know, the world, the secular world will push themselves to blood, sweat, and tears for the glorification of self in the arts. How much more so should we work at it because we're glorifying God? Like it's such a higher purpose and calling. And like, look at the effort that was put into the artistic design of the temple, like everything. They got the best craftsmen to do it. It wasn't just like, you know, whoever's heart is pure, who's willing, who's willing to build a temple, you can do it. It was like the best of the best, because that's what our God is worthy of. And so, I mean, I believe that it just kind of resonated in my heart, what I had kind of felt like I always knew growing up and never could put into words or find like, I've been training, I actually even had someone tell me when I was younger, that they thought my dance training was detrimental to my worship, because I'm so technically trained to dance you can't dance before the Lord and abandon and someone who has no training, they're better at the worship stuff than you are. And so that just kind of flies in the face of that. It's like, whatever we do, we should be doing unto excellence of the Lord. Like why give him our half-hearted attempts, um, do what you're good at and do it for Jesus. And so that was probably one of my biggest takeaways from there, which then kind of leads into, um, I mean, another thing, hardship I had in my life, which I got, it was a big mess, but my work visa got denied partway through a season. And I ended up stuck back in Canada and my entire life that I had built for five years in the States fell apart. Um, I didn't even have like my clothes except for a couple outfits with me. Everything was stuck in the States. I was stuck in Canada. And that's a whole other story of choosing to uh, stick with the Lord when, when all your dreams are dashed. So then what happened? <laughs> then, what, then what happened? Well, I was really grumpy for a while. <laughs> Did you um, want me to share some of that? No, I'll, no, no, you keep talking. Okay. You keep talking. Because <laughs> you, came, you came home uh, after not being able to get back down to the States, uh -huh. and it was time for some more adjustments. Yes. I do not. I mean, I love my parents. I do not recommend as a 27, 28-year-old uh, moving back in with your parents after having lived independently. I mean, sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do, but I found myself living in my parents' basement, everything having been taken away. And uh, I remember chatting with my sister one day and just, uh, she actually said to me, it was over the phone and she said, you know, when God says like, we have to lose our lives for his sake and like lose your life to find it in him. And um, she's like, I've always thought of that as like being willing to die. <laughs> but she's like, you've literally just lost your whole life. Like everything, everything I had ever worked for, everything I was doing was gone. And it's just that like, okay, okay, Lord, what now? Um, yeah. So I was grieving a lot. I don't think I knew that that was what I was doing. Um, I was miserable. I didn't know what to do. People would try to say helpful things like vision, like if money wasn't an option, time and space wasn't an option, like, what does your heart desire to do? And I was like, I was doing it. Um, that's what I wanted to be doing. Um, yeah. And one day I was sitting and I was just worshiping the Lord because I was like, what else can I do? Um, and I was just playing my brother's piano. I don't really play piano, but I can play enough chords to know to worship the Lord by myself. So it was a old worship song and the the bridge said, I won't be satisfied with anything ordinary. I won't be satisfied at all. And so I remember just singing this out and I just stopped like mid singing. And I was like, that's it. I know what the problem is. I fear the ordinary. Again, I want an extraordinary life for the Lord. And I just started talking to him. I was like, I want to live for you. I was doing this amazing thing. I was, I was touring around and proclaiming Jesus through this like classical dance and ministering and, you know, go to Europe and like all these cool things that I got to do with the ministry, uh, the ballet ministry in the States. And I was just like, I just don't want to be stuck. Like at that time, I had just picked up some shift work to like have something to do. I was going to church on Sundays and just kind of living this like what I would consider like a mundane, boring, ordinary Christian life. 
And so I just kind of poured that out to the Lord. And uh, again, I'm a very kind of direct person and I find that the Lord talks to me like that. Um, And so I just heard in my mind, one of the loudest I've ever heard the Lord. I'm just, you know, I'm just going at it in prayer. You know, I want to, I want to be extraordinary for you. I don't want to be stuck in this mundane Christianity. That's my problem. That's why I'm in a funk. And, and the Lord just said right now for you to get through one whole day with a good attitude is an extraordinary act of God. And I was brought down several pegs and I was like, Oh, um, and so I just, again, in that moment was like, okay, Lord, let's do it. Me and you, let's do it. Let's offer to help my mom clean the kitchen before she asks me and I get mad, you know, let's do my very best at work. Let's do my very best and look for opportunities to be extraordinary in the mundane. Um, and it wasn't like that, but it definitely turned things around. And like, looking back, there was a girl, I was working at a Hallmark store and there was a girl there who worked with me, who she had kind of been raised a Christian, but had just abandoned that whole life. And we were always scheduled on the same shift. And it was the day of the week that was the most dead and no one would come in the store and we would just chat. And I just got real bold with my faith. Um, and she like, Further on, she ended up starting to come to my church and then God brought another coworker into the same store that was also a Christian. And then she started getting scheduled with her and, and this girl got saved. And like, I, she's a friend to this day. She's amazing. She's, she's a married now has two, I think two amazing kids and just like seeing what God can do. Like that happened in a Hallmark store, (laughs) just looking for the extraordinary with the Lord. Um, So yeah, just, I mean. I mean, I can go on and on, but you said this is only supposed to be an hour. <laughs> yeah, approximately. So uh, why don't you explain what Arise School of Dance is, how okay. you got involved, um, yeah. and, and well, yeah, and then we'll do the next thing after this thing. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. So um, I, my sister had been teaching, my younger sister at this point had kind of taken over the mantle of teaching some kids from church, from the homeschool group uh, in our parents' basement. They had renovated a nice little ballet studio down there. And she was getting ready to graduate high school and leave the same year I, uh, my visa and life fell apart and I got landed in my parents' basement. And so I want to, I want to clarify this yeah. parents' basement thing. Cause I don't know what parents people basement. are picturing. So you're living in the basement. It's we're teaching renovated. kids dance in the basement. Just so people know we had renovated this basement. Oh, yeah. There's this lovely a fully studio furnished basement. What's that? It was a fully furnished basement. Yeah. With a dance. At one studio. point, at one point I was sharing a room. I was whatever, 28. And I was sharing That's a true. room with my 13 year old sister because they didn't expect but, me to end up at home. I had moved out and that was the room that was available. So. And it was the biggest bedroom in the house. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, and that, and, that, and I, the kids were dancing on a raised uh, floor that we made special. There were mirrors and bars. It was a, it, I said it you had a low a ceiling. Really nice... it, the ceiling was so low. The kids had to be careful not to do their kicks too much yes. because they would they would they would kick the ceiling kick the ceiling. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. I did say you had a nice renovated little dance. Did you say that? I'll have to replay yeah. the recording to see that. Well, anyway, back replay. to you. Send it back. Okay. Um, okay. So this is from my perspective. <laughs> okay. So yeah, so they everybody when I got home, they were like, Oh, because they knew my younger sister was leaving. And it was like, Oh, no, there won't be anyone to teach our kids who's a Christian. And I landed back at home. And everyone's like, Naomi is back. She can teach the kids. And that was the last thing I wanted to do at that point. It felt like many steps backwards in my career. I had been dancing and preaching the gospel and, you know, getting to tour around. And at that point, I was actually working as the road manager to like help the touring company. And um, yeah, I was like, well, I don't want to teach kids to point their toes. That seems like the wrong direction for my life. And that year they did a little end of the year recital at a church. And so I was helping out. I just filmed it for my sister and I was sitting behind the camera. This is funny. It's going to sound like God's just constantly talking to me, which I do believe he is. And we often just are not listening. Um, but we're definitely just hitting the high points of my life. I have lived a long time. I'm much older than I look. Um, and so, yeah, this is not like every day I'm hearing these powerful words from the Lord. We're just hitting the, I would say hitting the high points, but it's actually hitting a lot of the low points in my life. So I was there and I was uh, filming and uh, as I was filming, I was thinking, you know, she, my sister had, she'd really built up the studio a little bit and there was some really nice little dancers there. And 
Um, and I just heard the Lord speak to me and he said, you have a skill and they have a need. Why wouldn't you help? Um, and so I went to my parents and I just said, okay, fine. <laughs> like, honestly, it was like that. Okay, fine. I'll teach them. I, I know I can. Um, I, I don't know what else I'm doing, but, uh, at that point, I think I had said like, all I can just take the studio. And they said, you know, like, we feel like the Lord's entrusted this to us to steward people trust us. So like you can teach for us. And, um, because I wasn't convinced that that was what I wanted to do with my life. It was like a very part-time thing. Like I'll help out. So at that time we moved it out of my parents' basement and we hired a second teacher. Um, so it was the two of us teaching, I think three afternoons a week, renting rooms at a church. And one thing led to another. Um, fast forward five years from that, it's grown to, I think at that point, we're using the church building more than the church was using their own church building. And we thought we we want to leave before they get mad at us. Um, because every year the studio just kept growing, growing. We barely advertised. It was mostly word of mouth. Yeah. Oh, you look like you want to say something. Um, okay. Yeah. So it had grown six days a week. It was just chaos. And my parents were very busy at the time. My dad had started to travel more with his uh, ministry. My mom was still homeschooling many children. I was doing administration for the studio and it was just, it was hard to get anything done. I remember this one time I needed a check signed for something, but my dad was out of town and he had to sign the check. And then we like missed the deadline. And it was just, the thing was growing out of control. So I went to my parents after a lot of praying and I just said, okay, here's the thing. We can shrink it down because it had started as this little family business, basically little family business slash ministry. And I said, we keep adding things every year. Um, so either we can kind of, we have to make it back smaller to be a little family business that you guys can manage, or you guys need to quit some of the other jobs you're doing and actually pay more attention to the studio, or you need to be willing to give it away to someone that can spend more time to make it flourish. And I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do it by myself because I think that's not healthy to take on, but I'd be happy to do it with um, this other teacher as a partnership. And they actually said, okay, I, I was shocked <laughs> um, because years ago they had said, we believe God has give this test a steward, but I guess God had been moving there too. And they said, sounds good, but we'll pray about it and then get back to you. Um, and so I reached out to the other teacher and her husband and they they said, let's do it. Um, so then, yeah, long story short, we took over the studio. Essentially, my parents gave us the studio. Now I have lost track. Do you know how many years ago it was? Oh, isn't it 10? Over 10? That you've given, gave it yeah, to yeah, us? Yeah. Isn't it? Oh, oh I dear. don't know. I keep saying arise. Folks who weren't prepared for this years. question, so sorry. Sorry, I keep saying Arise has been around for 10 years. And then recently one of the other teachers corrected me and she said, I think this is our 13th season. And I was like, I probably should right. stop so, saying 10 years. So when you took it out of the house, one of the things you wanted was to change the name. I, yeah. I, I like the old name, but the new name's great too. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was one of the things. So like, so Arise School of Dance, you could say started at that point when it yeah. moved out, we, we were still the owners. The year after and I came anyway, home. Anyway, some we'll have to work out yeah. the timeline. You know, when you write the history book, yeah. That's so right now me and the other, it's the other teacher who was the original, we were the original two when we moved it out of the house and gave it the name change to Arise School of Dance, um, were the co-owners and directors. And we now have moved it out of the church. We have our own building with two different studios and it's a whole facility. Um, and this season we just started our, obviously we have no idea what season it is. <laughs> I think it's the 13th season of Arise School of Dance. And so the first five years it was under the uh, operation of my parents. And then since then it's been under myself and my co-director. So um, how many, how many teachers do you have now? How many kids do you have now? Um, every year fluctuates this year. I believe there's eight of us, eight teachers. Um, and we are just crossed 170 students this fall. And the website is? Uh, arisedance.com. Yeah, so people could check mm -hmm. that out. Do you still have room? It's, you know, it's late September now. Yeah, yeah, we take registrations for, for the first few months. And I mean, if people want to join later in the year, we usually figure out a way to make it work for you. Uh, sometimes the, you need some private lessons to catch up with the level if the, the class has been going since September, but just contact us. And we have classes as young as like for two-year-olds to do like with their moms, a mom and taught thing. We have three and four-year-olds, five, like all the way up. And then we also do adult classes for adults who want to dance. You can have danced your whole life or you can have had no experience. Um, yeah, 
girls, guys, ballet, jazz, contemporary, hip hop, we do it all. Right. And somehow with you being so busy with that and managing other things, you also have another thing that you're doing that can you just take a moment? Yeah. Can I go back? Cause I feel like I have to just fix something I said. Okay. Um, Cause I told everybody that I started pretty reluctantly teaching. Um, I'm not reluctant teaching anymore. <laughs> this is not fine. I'll teach kids to point their toes. Um, oh, I can vouch I, I for that. <laughs> How passionate you are about this. <laughs> yeah. So it, it took a little while. Obviously I enjoyed working with the kids. It just wasn't something that was like, this is my life's passion. But after a few seasons, a couple seasons in, like as I was enjoying it, I really got to see the discipleship and mentorship side of it. And I mean, obviously I love dance. I dedicated my life to it. It's super fun. I love to teach children how to do it and how to do it well. Um, but yes, I started to see the discipleship and the mentorship and and when those kids and they they trust you and they come to you and and they share something they're struggling with and you can encourage them or, you know, when the teenagers go, can we meet up for coffee? And, and I want to talk about God with you or, and it's just that it's turned into this whole thing where we get to like disciple a generation, which, um, that has always been my passion. And so I get to mix like the art form that I love and essentially be the studio that kind of I, me and my co-director, we wish we had as kids where we had to separate the secular from like our church life. Um, our motto at the studio is excellence in dance training for the glory of God. And that's what we get to do with these kids. And we have a ministry group that goes around and does outreach and dances and stuff. So anyways, I love it now. I'm very passionate about it. Yes. What started reluctantly out of obedience to the Lord has become my life's work. So I, I should have asked you this yeah. before we started, but if people want to see what you do, mm -hmm. do you have some any good posted video samples to share with people that I could oh, yeah. uh, put our in the you, description? Yeah, our YouTube channel is just full of things. Okay, so um, I'll so, talk to you when, when we when we go off air. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll talk to you about that, and I'll make sure there's some good links, uh, good link or good yeah. links in the description. Yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, so this has already gone a little longer than I expected, which is great. <laughs> and maybe you should come Sorry. back as, to talk about the other thing. Cause I think the other thing also relates to a lot of the things that you've already talked about. And could you please share what that other thing is? Mm -hmm. You can label this one part one. So then everyone knows there's a part two and then we can do that one later. Um, but yeah, uh, last year I became a registered grief recovery method specialist um, to help people navigate losses in their lives. That's the shortest version. Let me know yeah. if you want me to expand. Now, you know, people talk about Easter eggs. Easter eggs are these things that they do in, in movies and shows where they mm -hmm. place things in um, that uh, are, are either hints of something or it uh, or it it's there because of something that happened in the past, little kind of yeah. nice little gift for the for the fans. Uh, but so as Naomi was talking, I think this is what she said uh, when things didn't work out when the door closed for her to go back down to the States and, and she was in our basement in that nice room. Um, <laughs> she talked about grieving, but not knowing she was grieving. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and Naomi could wax eloquently. You've already seen that she waxes eloquently, mm -hmm. but she can wax elo elo eloquently on this topic. And mm -hmm. so it would be great to have her back at some point to talk about this specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, so we'll do, we'll just leave it at that. So Naomi's yeah. been through a lot, as you can tell, but she's been through a lot with God and in some very mm -hmm. surprising ways. It's been such a blessing for me to either hear or rehear some some mm -hmm. of these stories about the reality of God in her life. And so the reality uh, of I just if I can close with one thing, I would sure. say I'm not a victim. And when we start talking about all these tear and I mean, this can lead into the grief recovery stuff too, um, which is like, you can have all these things in life and it's how you react to it and how you react to it with the Lord. Um, and people who know me, a lot of people, unless they know all these things, they would say that, you know, first off, I'm not a fake person, but secondly, I don't go around acting like a victim, like poor me, all this bad stuff has happened. Um, and I don't, I don't consider myself a victim. And I wouldn't even use that language unless somebody kind of, they can kind of put that on you like, oh, wow, you've had all this. And I'm like, but I'm not a victim. And so much of that has to do with perspective and working through healing in a healthy way. Yes. 
I receive that for myself and I hope other people are hearing it as well. And so I'm going to make sure there's a link to arisedance.com in the description as well as where you can see some sample videos to see what uh, what that's all about. And if you want to contact Naomi, um, you could do so at naomi.gilman at grms at gmail.com. I will also put that in the description. Naomi, thank you so much for taking this time and for opening your heart to people. And uh, and yeah, hopefully we'll be able to do this again soon. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me on, Dad. Thanks for being my dad. <laughs> it wasn't my idea. <laughs> Fair. You are, yes, you are a blessing from the <laughs> Lord. A great guess. You know, your mom says over and over again, and she's so right, and so many people need to hear it. But you are God's good idea. God does not mm -hmm. make mistakes. And uh, mm -hmm. it's a blessing to have you as yeah. and if, my if you're watching, daughter. I hope you take those words that he just said to you. Yes. Amen. Well, again, special thanks to Naomi for joining us. The contact information will be in the description. Uh, please uh, feel free to co also contact me. Perhaps something came up in this conversation where you want to question our parenting. I'd be very happy to do my best to answer some of those questions. And so uh, you can email me at comments at thinkingbiblically.org. Again, you can contact Naomi at naomi.gilman at grms at gmail.com. And so until next time, this is Alan Gilman with Thinking Biblically.